Would you stand with me as we read from uh, the Gospel according to St. Luke? We're reading chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who sent me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, What should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. This is good news, the gospel of the Lord. Good morning, you may be seated. Glad you're here today. You know, in the summer, a lot of people are traveling, and, and Jennifer and I we're traveling a lot too, and um, last about three weeks ago, and I want to mention this: um, that I read this scripture um, in Second Chronicles, and it says, "If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land." And uh, Brooke and I decided that we were going to uh, put a series together. And we haven't figured the title. We'll start next week. And it was focused on how we get through life with this political season that we're going in. And so we did some um, background research and all that stuff. And we discovered that hate crimes are at an all-time high between black Americans, the LGBTQ community, and the Jewish people. Now, we've put those together in the last two weeks, uh, thinking, okay, this is how do we get through this? And some of the articles that we read, that the hate crimes peaked at uh, midterm elections, and they're expecting the hate crimes to get worse during next year. And I was looking at this, and I was telling Brooke, good night, this is crazy. But this week never happened yet. And so when I see what's going on, with Gilroy, the mass shooting, and uh, the mass shooting in um, El Paso, Texas. And then I went to bed thinking, how am I going to deal with this with the church? And then woke up in the mass shooting in um, Dayton, Ohio. And they even said that there were more people, Americans, that were killed in the last week with mass shooting than, there any, than the soldiers at the, in war in the last two years. So we have a problem, our country. We've always had this problem. And to me, 
Let me make it clear, it's hatred. There's hatred towards this, I mean, a lot of people. But this is a problem, and I've been praying about this, and I want, I want to challenge you guys. Hatred breeds hatred. It breeds real quick. And I think as followers of God that we knew, need to get involved politically. We need to out, change, talk to our senators and our, our, our representatives and, and really do that and maybe start making some changes that could curtail this. But I've noticed, even in my heart, that I, hatred's coming up. And I can put a facade up. I can do it real easy. I can pretend, hey, praise the Lord, hallelujah, he's risen, and stuff like that. But this hate, it's just very fascinating to me that I can be prejudiced towards my own race sometimes. And I can look at college men and just have a stereotype white man. And so David even said a prayer, create in me a clean heart and restore a right spirit within me. And that I cannot get involved, I cannot let this hatred tear me apart where I'm just hating everybody, but cleansing my heart so that I can motivate and I can move in a way of protecting, of helping, of being part of the solution in our country rather than part of the problem. And, um, and so I, I hate to be a downer and stuff like this, but I, I just think, you know, a lot of the victims of these mass shootings have even told the Christians, stop praying for us, but get involved for us. And so I just want to encourage you guys to really seek his face and encourage you to have the courage to be part of the solution, whether the solution is within your community, within your family, within your, your work, that we are called to love one another. God has made that clear. And in Matthew, he says, make disciples of all nations. That's all of us. Every color of our skin, every cultural background, Jesus loved. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so if you notice, the scriptures that we're going to go, go through today is um, Jesus deals with the motivation of one's heart and not how we project. And it's a great little thing today because sometimes, you know, I've always said that when you're a good preacher, when you convict yourself. And, uh, and I just realized, oh my goodness, this hit right on to me. And so let me pray uh, that we will have the courage to do what God has put on our hearts. That we will not be motivated by anger, but we will be motivated by love and truth. And that we will move forward, whatever God's moving you to forward, but to have hatred and anger, it's just not going to cut it. And so just because it doesn't affect you because of the color of your skin does not mean it doesn't affect your brother or sister. And so we are called to reach out to help one another, to love one another, to stand up with one another. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this opportunity to really depend on you. Our spirits are hardened. Our spirits are, we get so angry so quick. And I just pray, Lord, I confess to you as a pastor, uh, let me not speak 
uh, with hatred or anger. Let me not fuel what is going on in our country, but let us may bring words of encouragement to change, to move this country in a place where it needs to be. We just thank you, Lord. We realize we're just one voice, but one voice that's silent is like a thousand voices. And we just pray, Lord, that with our love, with our motivation, with with the direction of your Holy Spirit, that we can make a difference in this country. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said. Now, the, the thing is, uh, th about two years ago, two years ago, I think so, <laughs> let me get it right, that I told you guys that I'm really into this restored in order to restore. That the Lord really put on my heart as being a pastor for 37 years that there was anger and bitterness and resentment in my life. I'm being honest with you guys. And that, that the Lord needed to help me restore in order for me to help others restore. And so I had to go deep down into my own soul. And the Lord made it clear it would be roughly around two years of restoration for me. And you think two years is a long time, but I was 55 years old when that was happening. And it took me 55 years to get where I am give myself two years to get where I need to be, at least facing in the right direction spiritually, emotionally, and then within my marriage. And then my next focus, I believe the Lord told me to do, was help the church restore in order for them to help their families restore as well. Restoration is a big thing for me. And that's why we have this grace track. That is an incredible restoration thing the houses build uh, relationships, gives us the tools that we need. I took, I took it and learned tremendously uh, about who I am, how I work, how I deal with things, how I think, and it really challenged me. And so in the next two years, two years after that, is the restoration of our campus. And this is where it's very important because we're in talks right now of different organizations to uh, work together to really restore this entire campus. We just don't own the property here. We own the entire property and the restoration. And so therefore, if we don't get our attitudes right into restoration, then we can get so greedy thinking of watching this multi-million dollar building project happen through our campus. And I was thinking, couldn't you imagine all of a sudden if I wanted to do this in a way that could just build my ego? Because I was thinking instead of these little pictures that we have on the wall, it would be good to have pictures of my wife and I. <laughs> because the thing is, we, my wife and I, in order to have a multi-million dollar facility, we have to be the poster child of perfection. Now these photos will be photoshopped. <laughs> because I will look thinner, and I've asked if they could photoshop to make me look bug, to put a vein in my arm, because working out is not going to work. And so I can just Photoshop me, like many of you do on your profile pictures. <laughs> and so I'm going to join you guys. And then all of a sudden we'll, we'll do this. And then what, what, what my plan is, is this stage after the worship team comes, it will rotate. Because it will totally rotate when they sing the last song. Because I got the idea from Disneyland. And then when this rotates, this will come out of the ground. And this will be my special pulpit. Only me preaches. Only I, however. 
and then the lighting will be completely changed because I want to look 30 years younger. And then my theology needs to change too because in order to have a multi-million dollar, I had to have multi-million dollars worth of income of tithes and offerings. So what I need to do, I need to get you guys to stop focusing on people that are hurting, people that are broken, and you need to focus on yourself. And so my theology will change for prosperity theology. So therefore, I will begin to teach on this pulpit how God wants you rich and how important it is to be wealthy and how God wants his children to have the best. And so therefore, the more I do that, the more income you will make. And guess what? Then I need to make more income because if I'm the poster child of all these posters, then I need to make buku bucks. So forget the parsonage I live in now. You guys need to buy Jennifer and I a 4,500-square-foot beachfront house because we need to show that God has really blessed us. Then eventually I want to get a Learjet because I'm going... Oh, you laugh. But I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to write a book. No, forget it. I'm not going to write a book. I'm going to have Brooke write me a book about me. And then I'll do some kind of incredible book tour that I never wrote, and I need a private Learjet so I can go in different things, and I'll do a fundraiser. Now, you look at this, and you, and, you, and you joke, but there's some truth to what I said. We see this a lot within churches, that all of a sudden they become a, a bubble. And so what I did was just to tell a story. A story is very fascinating because nobody gets defensive around a story. But there's a lot of truth within the story. And when you listen to the story, all of us can connect to it because all of us have a personal desire for greed, for wealth, for having this. It would be fun to do this. It would be fun for all of us to be wealthy and have everything we want. But in order to do that, we have to let go of some core values of Jesus. We really do. So if you notice, Jesus spoke in the same way. He's spoken parables. He's spoken stories. In fact, if you look on the screen, stories can take us beyond the typical set pattern in the way we think. Stories preserve our dignity because we don't it doesn't confront us directly. This, they bring us in as participants. The story just rolls around in our brains for a while. Then suddenly we find ourselves being challenged. And so when we look at this, Jesus and his storytelling, or what we call his parables, he did not speak about spiritual things, but he spoke about everyday things. It's really interesting. In fact, back on the screen, perhaps you noticed that a lot of Bible study talk about God and his lofty spiritual matters was a way for his followers to avoid the presence of God. In the sick, hurt, lonely, or hungry people they were meeting along the road as they followed him. Now, maybe one reason he told stories was to get, his, get our heads out of the spiritual clouds so we can refocus on what God is doing and can do through us right here and on the ground of everyday life. And so basically pull our heads out of the clouds and look at the reality of what's going on in our world today. Because sometimes we as a church like to escape. We like to live in our own bubbles and say, you know, it doesn't affect me directly or something. My goodness, I don't know about you, but do you have a fear of everything now? 
Like, you don't want to go to the mall. You don't want to go to a movie. Am I the only one that sits in? I'm at the forum at a concert, and I'm going, hey, I'll go out that way. 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 And every time I go in a restaurant, I can sit in the back, and I sit so I can see things. I never used to do this. And all of a sudden, I'm telling you, if I was out to lunch with you, and I heard something, I ain't protecting you. I'm running. <laughs> I'm going to be jumping right through a window, you know. But it's just, it's just fascinating how we as a culture have changed. And so, so therefore, we need to be, Jesus pulls back the reality of life here. And he shows us through his stories that we need to embrace reality here. And we, get, we need to stop being so self-focused. It's interesting, and let me challenge you guys on this. But if you can record your prayers, are they self-centered? Or are your prayers really about, hey, what can we do to change our world today? What can I do to make a difference? What can I do to be your feet, to be your, uh, your voice here? And so in the gospel reading today, it was really interesting because Jesus was speaking, and this dude just stood up and asked a question, which I thought was ridiculous. Now, he said this. It's on the screen. Someone in the crowd said this. Teacher, order my brother to give my fair share of the family inheritance. What does that have anything to do with what Jesus was teaching about? But he was so focused right now, right? He wasn't focused on what was going on. He wasn't focused on the spiritual blind. He wasn't focused on this. He was focused on, I ain't getting my inheritance. And you better tell my brother. And so he, he interrupts Jesus. Now, on the screen here, this is what's cool about Jesus. Because Jesus has ways. I'm going to unplug this or I'm going to kill myself. I'm, 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 <laughs> oh, yeah, I just did. I probably just unplugged me. But, but, but um, everything you know is the worship team is like moving up forward. And I, I'm standing here going, okay. It's all about the worship team. I'm kidding. But anyway, when we look at this, Jesus detects something underneath a man's simple request that tells a story that can get us thinking about our goals and God's goals, our will and God's will. And so this is where Jesus goes, motivation. What's behind that request? This is cool. Because if I were to say, if I were to approach you at a gas station and I was going, dude, I got 40 bucks here. I want to give it to you. You would go, why? You're up to something. I don't know who you are. This doesn't make any sense, right? And he goes, I want to take it. And you're, you're trying to figure out the person's motivation before you get it, right? We all do this. Jesus did it too. Jesus knew it. It's called intuition. You know the best intuition? Woman. Because my wife, she's not here. She is here. <laughs> that thing has been 100% right, and it frustrates me. Because she'll forewarn me about situations that I go, hey, I'm a pastor and I seem oblivious, and then I'm dealing with it two years later, and she's smart enough not to say, told you so. <laughs> you know, so woman's intuition is good. It's very good. And so in the sermon last week, uh, we, t we went over the subject that the disciples asked Jesus, how do we pray? And so Jesus said, here's a system, here's a form of how to pray. And he did the, shared the Lord's Prayer, our Father which art in heaven. 
So he made it clear. Two things I want you to notice about the Lord's Prayer. The first one, hallowed be your name. The second one's on the screen, your kingdom come. What was Jesus doing? He was saying your prayers need to be off yourself and focus on his will to be done in your life. And so if we look at this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on heaven as an earth, basically this is our prayer needs to be this week, big time. And we need to orchestrate his kingdom coming down now that uh, of, of love and, and goodness and justice as well. This prayer is about God's will. It's not a self-centered prayer. And so I look at James. James is cool because James is probably the most practical book in the Bible. And James, if you, if you don't know this, he was kind of Jesus' kind of, he was Jesus' stepbrother. And James says this, and when you ask, you do not receive because, get this, your motives are bad. You ask for things uh, to use for your own pleasure. Now think about that. Because I can orchestrate this prayer in a beautiful way, but what is my motive behind it? It's very fascinating if we, if we learn this, if we follow this. And so, so when we looked at this, he, what he's doing, Jesus is dealing with this gentleman that's asking for this request about mixed motives. What he's saying and what he wants is two different things. So follow me on the screen. Someone out of the crowd said, Teacher, order my brother to give me my share of the family inheritance. He replied, Mr., what makes you think, I love Jesus, what makes you think it's any of my business to be a judge or mediator for you? Now, he's speaking to the people, so he makes this a teaching illustration, but follow me. He, he just identifies right on what the motive is. He goes, take care, protect yourself against the least bit of greed. That's the issue. It was greed. Life is not defined on what you have, even when you have a lot. So I look at this and I go, oh, dang, dude. Because if, if we don't live in a society that struggles with this, it's greed. I had a conversation with my cousin, and he listens to me on the internet, so hi, Brian, I'm talking about you. But um, that we had this conversation, and um, we were talking about where we have, how would you say, struggles in our lives and the struggle for me always has been is my finances I always get stressed out financially about worried about things my wife doesn't and I'm going I wish I could have peace in this area of my life but how do you have peace I've told you many times that in my life when I was young if I could have two thousand dollars then I would have peace financially I have a boatload more than $2,000. But I've noticed when we kind of cross it, we focus on not what we have to bring us peace, but what we can lose now, right? And so we go, I can lose this amount. I can lose this. I can lose that. And so therefore, we want to have more. We want to have more. And Jesus is saying, dude, you're getting into the greed stuff. And I was talking to him. I said, I struggle with greed. I struggle with greed. Because I just think it's a little more savings, a little more savings, or this, or, or do this. And so we have to be careful about this thing and watching our greed. And this is why Jesus quickly denies him because he's not going to feed into his greed. 
Now, this is fascinating to me because I, I did this sermon for myself. It wasn't just a desire for justice. That's what he was praying for. But it was a desire for him to be comfortable and to have greed. And so we had to watch it. And so back on the screen, it's called coveting. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not covet. Coveting by definition is this. It's also called greed or variance. It's an excessive desire to acquire or possess more than one needs, deserves, especially with respect to material wealth. So I looked at this and I go, I would love to be 1% in, in the United States. The 1%. But we are the 1% of the world. You know that, right? You are the richest 1% worldwide. But we don't want to be that 1%. That's not enough. We want to be the 1% so it gets more greedier. And so, therefore, the least bit means here the tiny motives underneath can be good motives, but that greed, like hatred, can just manifest very easy. For an example, and let me use a logistic example. I hear this a lot, and I've done this prayer a lot. Lord, help me get this new church. I haven't prayed that. That because better career-wise, better financially-wise, then I could afford a house on the west side. Well, to live on the west side, you have to have a million and a half dollars to own a house. And so we look at this and say, well, my prayer is I just want to provide for my family, right? I just, I would like to have all my children with their own bedrooms. I hear this a lot. I would like to have a yard. I don't know kids playing yards anymore, but I would like to have a yard. And so therefore, it's not wrong for asking those. It's not a sin for doing that. But what it is, it's a breeding, a breeding thing for greed. Because what happens, we say, I cannot be happy, I cannot be content until I get this. So therefore, I'm not having a joy in my life. I'm not enjoying day by day because I will enjoy it when I get here. Now, I've got here in my times, and I go, there ain't no joy. If I haven't had joy there, I ain't going to have joy here. Or here, or here. It'll be this crazy uphill race of mine. And so Jesus simply, and it's on the screen, warning us to watch out because greed is a sneaky and hard to detect. Keep on the lookout for it. So then Jesus tells us a story to help this man understand what he's talking about. This is not a real story. This is not a real event. This is a story, which I just go, <laughs> dang, dude. Jesus gets really into it again. He said, then he told them a story. The farm of a certain rich man produces a terrific crop. Now, back then, the crops were money. So you have the biggest crop, you have a lot of money. He, he talked to himself, which your pastor does a lot because he has no friends. What, what can I do? My barn isn't big enough for this harvest. Then he said, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger barns. Then I'll gather all my grain and goods. And then I'll say to myself, self, you've done well. You got it made. You can now retire. Take it easy and have the time of your life. Just then, God showed up and said, Fool, tonight you die. And the barn full of the goods, who gets it? Now, you're going, wow, God. But he's making a point here. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. And so the thing is, all my life, I have been 
focus on retirement, 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 all this stuff and all this stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that, absolutely nothing wrong with that. But when that gets to the point of stealing your joy and stealing your happiness away because some ultimate goal that you have. For instance, you can look at if you're younger, my job, my job, I need to get this, my education, I need to get this, but really not enjoying the day or today. I've always said every day is a gift from God, and we need to use it wisely. You, you got, what, 29, 30-some, 40 people that were killed this week in a mass shooting? I don't know the exact number. They did not, had no idea this was their last day. And so for us, when we look, we say, man, relationships are so important more than stuff. I'm telling you, if I was having a massive heart attack or something, and I wasn't going, I would not say to my wife, bring me my retirement program, please. Bring me my, 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 my you know, all my money and stuff, and just, just put it on my lap so I can have peace. No, I'm telling you right now, it's, that would not be an issue at all. And that's what Jesus said. Why are we making this such a big issue? Now, savings, absolutely. It's called responsibility. You know, your credit reports, responsibility. I get it. But when that is at your motivation, then Jesus says you've got to be very careful. In that culture, crops were like money. The farmer was already rich. But then he produced terrific crops. That means God just blessed him with more wealth. And so, again, God has blessed you. God has blessed me with wealth. And sometimes he blesses us with more wealth. But again, we need to be very careful what we do with that wealth. Look on the screen. Now, Jesus does it again. The listeners are focusing on what they would do if they were the farmers and Jesus suddenly challenged their value system. He challenges our value system as well. He gets down to the heart of the issue. The story asks, who are you living for? Are we being greedy? Is it all our worth and value tied up in all the things that we can't take with us when we die? Now, before my mother had dementia, she always said to me, no, she said this, that my brother borrowed my car when I was young, and then within a half an hour he totaled it. And I was ticked. And my mom said, don't love anything that can't love you back. I, I was still pissed off, you know, <laughs> and, and, and mad and angry and stuff. But it made sense after the fact. It's not to love things that can't love you back. And so we need to be very careful. Your children, they're yours. I don't have children. Those are, children are the most beautiful thing on the planet. If you, if you get annoyed at your mother, thank God that your mother's annoying you because I wish my mother would annoy me. But my mother's a vegetable. And so there's times I miss those annoying days that are just, and just look at those days and go, you know what? This is a blessing. I may be annoyed. She may be driving me crazy. My mother was very good at guilt trips. I miss guilt trips. I miss those trips to go down. And so follow me on the screen. I want to show you something important. Three important things. Wealth is not a sin. 
but is a breeding ground for the sin of greed. Two, greed begins when we start to think of wealth as a power to be used rather than a love to be shared. Because greed, what ends up being, is power. And so therefore, if I have the money, I have the power. So therefore, greed. You, you can see when Jesus is dealing with what our country needs to get. Greed. <laughs> Sorry. We all have greed problems there. It's not just our leaders, but it's us as well, too. Greed leads to programs, projects, and organizations becoming more important than people and relationships. It's about the bottom dollar. It's about the stock market. You see, Jesus isn't picking on wealthy people. He's warning wealthy people like us to watch out. Wealth is not a sin. Do you get that? Wealth is not a sin. But greed, however, is. All our wealth comes from God. But if it's so scary, because with that wealth, there is a responsibility for all of us. So the story of Jesus tells us the result of two brothers, that the brother's relationship is over because of greed. Because of greed. Let me be honest with you guys here. This is where God convicted you guys know my dad, my relationship with my dad. I've always constantly been trying to get that man's approval. But he just constantly wants money. And I got so mad this week. And I said, how dare, how, you know, and I started going off and, with Jennifer. And then I realized why I'm so mad? It's because of greed. Can I afford to give it? It's nothing off my back. And so I have to be very careful where I have made it into a value system. But Jesus goes to the heart of the thing and goes, no, your, your problem is greed right now. Your problem is greed. The only thing that I can change quickly is me. The only thing you can change quickly in the circumstances we face as a country is you. Right? And the thing is, what's happening with hatred is we don't see where the problem And so therefore, our anger and our hatred becomes more and more. The Lord's very convicting to your pastor because he's very important on this restoration process because I don't need to go backwards. I really don't. I, I, I want joy. I, I, I want. I want the presence of God in my life. I'm not, I'm not guaranteed how long I'll live. I'm not guaranteed 30, 40 years, and you're not either. But if this is the last day for me to live on Earth, do I really want to be angry and hating and bitter, or do I want to go? I love my family. I had a good day today. My attitude is good. And I love my wife, and I say things to my wife that I should not hold off and say one day. You know, the thing is, I, I called um, her aunt. We were, we were talking, and I, and I said to Jennifer, I miss your aunt. I was thinking about your aunt and stuff that she made me, and I decided I'd call her. And I called her, and I said, I miss you. I miss you. And I meant so much to her. 
I miss you too. And we had this incredible conversation. And I'm telling you, when I got off the phone, I felt the presence of freedom from this world. And so I want to encourage you, when you think of someone, just go, that person makes me smile. Or that stupid joke that you thought was funny. Or whatever, or, or those pants he's wearing. <laughs> but you know what? I love him. You know? And so the thing is, it's important to, to do this and to say, because it's not about property. It's not about moving pulpits, coming up and circling around and posters of your pastor and his wife, you know, and all this stuff. It's relationships. Amen. And one of the things that's interesting, if you look at the first commandment, it says, do not put any gods before me, worship God. And the last commandment's about coveting. When you put God first, and you do the tenth commandment, stop coveting. You will watch all of them fall into place. That there's a joy that you can have in the midst of the sorrow that we're going through. And so it has a lot to do, as long as I'm the pastor, I want to see restoration. I want to see racially re restoration. I want to see that the hate crimes going down among black people, among LGBTQ community, among Jews, and now Hispanics. My peeps need to work some things out. They need to figure this out because not, I shouldn't say my peeps. I should say there's some broken people that are messed up, that are causing craziness in our system. It's a simple about opening up to the work of God's spirit in our lives. We can't help but get our motives all mixed up. We need God's help to change our hearts so that they are undivided, so they're the same heart. I love God with all my heart, with all my soul, and all my strength. And we need to continue what grace is all about, is not my will be done, but yours. And so and the last thing I want to do is, idolatry pollutes our love for God, and coveting pollutes our love for one another. And so we've got to stop with idolatry, and we've got to stop with the coveting so that we can have meaningful relationships with one another, crossing all kinds of cultures. And so, one thing I want to focus on, weekly corporate worship is very important. Being restored in our Christian community, grace track, our identity, doing that, being restored through daily contemplative prayer and practices. Prayer is important. And by going and restoring your world through love and acts of service. That's what, how we need to not allow the hatred to take over our lives. No judgment, only love is what's on our side. So last thing, remember that Jesus doesn't give any clear answer about if and it's okay to dream or having more. Instead, he warns us to keep our perspective right. Will it really matter in the long run if you get the bigger, better, and fill in the blank? None of us is going to take, take any of our stuff with us to eternity. Our big ambitions, projects, are not going to matter if they do not help and restore people's lives. Let's let God build our lives so that we can build his kingdom restored in order to restore.
May God bless you and may God bless us.